Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you today. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here at Westside, and it's my great privilege to uh, come and share with you here today. Much love out to everyone at the Speedway who's in our South Sanctuary, everybody who's watching online. We are in this amazing series called Q&A, Questions and Answers. And just as I said a couple of weeks ago, you're to blame for this series. So if you don't like it, too bad. It's your fault. Um, and we have been trying, attempting to answer some of the questions that you brought up. You had so many wonderful questions. And uh, I love last week where Pastor Gary came and he just shared a little bit about his story and dealing with this question that we have all wrestled with. What is, how does God navigate? How, what is his nature in regards to the pain and the hurt and the suffering of this world? And, you know, you can go back. I encourage you to listen to that message and kind of get Gary's perspective on that. And today we're asking more questions about God. What is his nature? What is his character? What, what, where did God come from? And you posed these questions. And just to say this out loud, the enemy would love for you and I to have false notions about who God is. He would love us to kind of have false conceptions about God's character, about his nature. But as a very famous theologian once said, his name is A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because like it or not, it's the thing underneath the thing, underneath the thing that shapes how you and I act, how we behave. It shapes everything about us. If you believe that there is no God and that everything in the universe is just a, just a cosmic accident and you and I are the result of blind natural forces and there's no such thing as, for instance, a, an objective sense of morality or there's no real purpose in life and any purpose, any reason that you have for living, you construct for yourself. And that's one way to think about things. And that will affect the way you interact with the world around you. That will affect how you interact with other people, what you think is good, what you think is bad, how you feel about death and dying. And if you believe that there is a God, and maybe this universe was created with some sort of purpose and some sort of reason, right, then what is that God's character? Is he good? Is he, is he kind? Is he judgmental? Is he hold contempt for you? But, or does he love you? And what you believe about God's nature, if you believe that there is a God, will shape you. It shapes your behavior. It shapes the way you interact with one another. It shapes what you believe about what is good, what is bad, what is moral, what is immoral, how we interact with the universe around us. And God, I tell you, a lot of us, we need to have our image of God healed because we have these misconceptions based on maybe our family of origin. You know, you talk about God as being a father. Maybe your earthly father was a nightmare. And we've taken that experience and we projected that onto how we perceive God to be. Maybe it's uh, conceptions about God that we picked up in our culture all around us. The stories, the narratives that we hear all the time, they're so powerfully shaping the way that we think. And today, my prayer is that this will be a step towards some healing, that we start to get a greater sense of the beauty, the good, the grandeur, the truth of who our God is as Christ followers. So, you know, you become like your image of God. The thing that you worship, the thing that you consider to be ultimate is gonna shape the way you act, the way you behave, the way you interact with the world around you. So it's very important that our ideas are healed from how they've been distorted. And think about this. In the swirling of the galaxies, in the complexity of your DNA, 
in, in the biggest of the big, <laughs> our universe has you know, been around for something like 14 billion years and the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second and it takes 11 minutes for light to get from the sun to, to earth and then it takes four years for us to go to the speed of light to get to the closest star. In the bigness of the universe, and the billions of other galaxies beyond ours to the smallest of the small. And we talk about molecules and subatomic particles and quarks and nuons and gluons and strings and just all of the grandeur and the scope of creation. And it's in this that we find a God who has spoken this universe into being. A God who knows you and who loves you. See, God doesn't have this zero-sum amount of love to spread around. It's not like you and I. You know, we got like a bucket of love, and it's, that's it. It's like as soon as you dole it all out, it's done. God is not like that. He doesn't have a limited amount of attention to give. We kind of say, how can God care about you and you and you and me and, and Oakland Raiders fans? And How can God <laughs> care about everybody all the time? It's not in spite of God's greatness that he can know you and love you. It's because of his greatness. It's because of his greatness that he can know the number of the hairs on your head. That he knows your hurts, he knows your tears, he knows your story, he knows your joys. He knows everything that can possibly be known about you more than you know yourself. Because of his goodness, because of his greatness. And so, this is the God who lavishes his attention on all of us, even the Raiders fans. And this is... The first thing God says about himself to you and I. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> he throws out his arms in the expanse of this universe. God speaks and reality comes into being. God causes everything that is caused. The first thing we know about this God is he's a creator. He makes things. It's his, in his nature to make stuff. He, God gives life. And better, better yet, God makes things that make other things. God said this, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. God sees this expansive, the beauty of this universe, and he says, all right, there's going to be this one galaxy amongst billions of other galaxies, and in one of the spiral arms of this galaxy, there's going to be this fairly average you know, sun there, this star there, and then around this star, there's going to be some planets, and that third planet from this star... I'm going to make a garden, a thing of beauty, a thing that is flourishing where life is springing up because it's good. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God looks and he says it was good. And he says more, more beauty, more immensity, more power, more majesty, more grandeur, more detail, more light, more life, more love. It makes me very happy for God. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. He makes the big animals and the little animals, and it's just, okay, 
I gotta tell you a story. So, I went to the zoo last week. <laughs> and it was, it was a day that, you know, I practiced Sabbath and I was out at, over here at Lenexa Lake over, and I was just enjoying the beauty of it. And just, you get quiet for a minute and you just, you can hear the dragonflies and the butterflies, right? And you, you walk around and I saw frogs and I saw turtles and I saw fish and I saw this snake who was not pleased to see me. And I kept thinking, God just keeps speaking more beauty, more life, more life, green things growing up around us. Man, I love Kansas. And we have the cycle of the seasons, this beauty of birth and rebirth and rebirth, more life, more life. And I thought, I thought as I'm sitting there around the lake, and I go, Gwen, let's go to the zoo. So we went to the zoo. It was fantastic. And I saw elephants, and I saw giraffes, and I saw this tiger, <laughs> and I saw stingrays, and I saw bears. And I just kept thinking, God, it's just must have had so much fun. More life, more beauty, more light, more things that make things that make things. And God made giraffes, and he made elephants, and he made whales, and he made... You know, he made flies, and he made, and he made polar bears, and he made dolphins, and he made cats. Well. <laughs> and he made big dogs that slobber on your couch, and he made little tiny pocket dogs that make wear funny hats and post their pictures on Instagram. And he says, it's good, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. God made all these animals. And then God said, check this out. You think that's good? Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God bless them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's nature is to give life. He says more life, abundant life, life that is thriving, life that is flourishing, life that makes life, that makes more life, that makes more life. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Good in the absolute sense. Good in the unblemished sense. Good in something that is whole, unbroken. It is the essence of who God is. God makes good things. <laughs> so what is God's nature? God is absolute, unabated, unblemished good. As Dallas Willard says, God is the most joyous being in all the universe. But you and I, we, we know the story. We know what happens. Sin enters the universe, right? It, it enters this perfect place, this expanse of creation that is intrinsically good in every conceivable way. And Adam and Eve believe the lie and they acted on it. The lie that says God's holding back on you, that God can't be trusted, that he's not for you. So you're gonna have to take things into your own hands. And sin poisons everything. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says it like this, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, the healing of the universe is bound up in the healing of humanity. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. How is God going to fix this? How is his ruined creation going to be returned to its intention? And how can God eradicate sin and evil without eradicating you and I? So, God comes up with a plan. And we look at this, the evangelist, the brother John, he writes in his gospel, and he hear the echoes of Genesis chapter one. In the beginning was the word, a capital W word, that is Jesus, that is the Christ, the third part of the Trinity was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus, he was with God in the beginning. Through Christ, all things were made. Without Christ, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. <laughs> the creator, the author of light and life, shows up. John goes on to say it like this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Here's the plan. God says, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna show up and I'm going to fix it. I will subject myself to my broken creation and I will die for the sin of mankind so that mankind won't have to die in their own sin. Why, 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 why would he do this? Why would he just, just scrap the whole thing and start over? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is our creator. This is our God. All of our broken conceptions of who he is, all of all of the lies, all the fallacies, all the deceit that we have unconsciously agreed to are eradicated in the light of his goodness, his glory, his majesty, his wisdom, his love. So with all that in mind, we approach these questions. And the first one is this. Where did God come from? So the Bible doesn't explicitly say where God comes from. But we have some ideas. Psalm 23, the psalmist writes this, the Lord is my shepherd. Every time you see that in the Old Testament, you see Lord in all capital letters. That is a, a translation of his name in Hebrew, which, the, which the, the ancient Jews, they didn't even, it was so holy, they didn't want to say it out loud. His name is Yahweh. And it gets translated as Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd. So what that means is Lord equals Yahweh equals I am. Self-subsistent, eternal being. This is the name most used for God throughout the Old Testament because it's the name that most reveals his true nature. God is a being who cannot not be. <laughs> it's like, 
that's, get a hold of that because you and I are so concerned with being. We're very aware that there's a possibility we could not be. And we spend an awful lot of our lives trying to protect the fact that we are, we would like to not not be, right? God, it's hard for us to imagine this, but scripture says this in Psalm 90, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the uncaused cause. And as we saw in John, God speaks and this universe, reality, comes into being. We know that time and space and matter had a beginning. It had a start. And its start wasn't of itself. It doesn't cause itself. Anything that has a beginning must have a cause. And the cause has to be other than itself. The natural world, the natural universe as we understand it, had a beginning. And by definition, its cause would have to be supernatural. And our God stands outside of time and space, and he is not constrained by his own creation. In all of creation's immensity and grandeur and majesty, God is greater. He stands outside of it himself. And the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus, right? The third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Christ and for him. He is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. So where did God come from? I mean, it's, I think it's unanswerable for us. Because you and I, see, in these little finite brains that we have, we can't conceive of some being that is atemporal, that stands outside of time, because you and I are so constrained by time. And Jesus declares of himself, echoing back to God's words to Moses in the burning bush, before Abraham was born, I am. God is pure existence, pure consciousness. God is, and there is no way in which he is not. So here's an ironic statement for you. God knows things that we don't know and has a perspective that we can't have. The being who speaks reality into existence. <laughs> so we come back to another question then. Then what's the purpose of prayer? If God's will and purpose is unchanging, how can prayer change anything? All right, so let's, let's just start with prayer, with our understanding of who Jesus is. These are his words to us. In, uh, from Matthew chapter 6, he says this. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus says, the one who is the third part of the Trinity, the one who, who spoke things into being, the one in him we, we live and move and have our being, the one who holds creation together. He says, when you approach God, do it like this, our Father. Because if he is our good Father, then who are we? I'm his child. I'm his child. And he's a good father. He's a heavenly father. And whenever I stand sort of intellectually thwarted around all, all, around all the big questions, right, he is a perfect father. And he is for me. And his desire is to see me flourish and thrive. 
He's the one who created me in order to have a relationship, one in which we love and interact with one another. So first and foremost, God is a father and I am his child. And, he, and God says this, right? Jesus says this of God. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You then, though you are evil, <laughs> right? Uh, we know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I'm an okay dad. I'm a decent dad. You could do better, you could do worse, but I'm all right, right? And my boys are now, they're 19 and 20 years old, and, you know, Gwen and I have raised them up here almost their entire lives right here in Kansas, and um, it's been quite a ride. It's been a lot of fun. But when one of my boys, when he was little, probably three or four years old, he really, really wanted to play at the stove. And I'm like, you can't play at the stove. He's like, but I really, really want to. Well, you don't get to play at the stove just because you want to, but I really, really want to. I'm like, no, you may not. Quit, quit trying to control me, man. <laughs> Let me express my freedom. So here's the thing. You know, because I'm, I'm a reasonably okay dad, and he's my child, and I care for him deeply. And I want to see him flourish and thrive and have more life, better life. Everything that's, all the potential that's built into that little knucklehead, I want to see him realize it out into the world. And so, he wants to play at the stove, and I'm saying no. Why? Because I know things he doesn't know. Right? And I have a perspective that he can't have. And I'm like, say, buddy, you know what? You don't have to learn this the hard way. You can trust me. You don't have to pile up a bunch of unnecessary regret. You don't have to walk away with the wound and the scar of exploring this thing that your reasonably okay dad told you not to do. How much more is a good heavenly father want to give good gifts to his children? He's a way better dad than I am. And he is for us. And he knows things we don't know. So he says this in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. God's not gonna give you a bad gift. He's not gonna give you this gift that's gonna hurt you in the long run. He's not gonna give you a gift that you can't handle. And he's not gonna give you a gift that you don't understand. He's not gonna give you a gift that you're not ready for. And sometimes... We have to trust him when it just doesn't make sense from our perspective. Sometimes we gotta understand that prayer isn't about changing God as much as it is about changing us. And that when we pray for things, we are offering things to him. We're saying, I'm submitting this to you and I'm trusting you with the outcome. Why? Because he knows things we don't know and has a perspective that we cannot possibly have. Another question that you came up with was, does God change his mind? If he's sovereign, right, if he's eternal, if his will is unabated, then does it change his mind? And the short answer is it appears that he does. In other words, from our perspective, in light of his eternality, his timelessness, his infinite power, his infinite wisdom, a being who speaks reality into existence, he somehow allows us to affect him as all relationships do. If you're a parent and you're looking at a child, you want them to ask. You want them to interact. It's not love if it doesn't somehow change the two of us, right? We affect one another out of our love for one another. And John says this in 1 John, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is 
love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is the nature of our loving relationship with our God, that it flows two ways. It's this other regarding, giving, affecting, and receiving. Love is the will for the good of the one loved. And so it is in this relationship that somehow, out of love for us, God allows us to affect him. There's a few examples we have from scripture. We see an example from Moses. He says this in Exodus, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Then the Lord relented, and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And then in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, if, right, they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and it will heal their land. And then Jeremiah 29, then you will call on me, come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart above all Things. Like a good heavenly father, God desires relationship with you and I. And we come to our good heavenly father, we ask things in his name. That is in submission to who he is, in alignment with his character and nature, and understanding that his perspective is better than ours, that his vision for the future is one that we don't know. And we can trust him with the outcome even we, we don't understand. Why? Because he knows things that we don't know and has a perspective that we can't have. And then Hebrews chapter 1 says this of Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Do you hear that? Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when we wrestle with the philosophical questions, and we do, and I've spent most of my life trying to come up with satisfactory answers for the big questions, for questions about hurt and origin and life and morality and all of the things. And we, you know, as much as you wrestle with those things and you can read all the great philosophers and Christian thinkers, and I come up to about, like, I'm about 80% satisfied with those answers. But here's the deal. My faith is in the character of God, perfectly revealed in Jesus rather than my capacity to know God's mind. He, he has spoken reality into existence. Do I really think I can judge his motives? And lastly, so then why did God create us in the first place? <laughs> why would he create us in the first place? Oh man, this is a good question. Okay, so last weekend, some friends of mine, they just had a baby. My friends, they're, they're uh, Nate and Mary Greenwood, and they just had a baby. And it was, like, it was a rough pregnancy. You know, she was really sick and bed rest and work and just all kinds of scary stuff, you know, that happened along the way. I won't give you the details. But, you know, if you've ever had a pregnancy that wasn't super smooth, you know there's a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation, a lot of anxiety, a lot of discomfort, right? All the things, a lot of pain that comes along with this expectation. And then he is born. His name is Ryan. Ryan is here. 
And Ryan, he looks a little bit like Mary. He looks a little bit like Nate. He's kind of in the image of his parents. And God, who loves to make things that make things, he loves more life, abundant life, glorious life, flourishing, thriving light and life and love. And he implants, he just injects into Nate and Mary their capacity to come together in union in his name and he has his creation. And from them, there's a new soul in the universe. And this little boy, Ryan, is here. And all of the anxiety and sickness and discomfort and hurt and fear, all those things, they just start really fading away because we can't imagine a universe without Ryan. <laughs> Why would God make us? Why wouldn't he make us? Why wouldn't he bear you an image bearer, his child. Why wouldn't he say, I can't imagine a universe without you. I can't imagine a universe without me. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God made you so he could love you. That's why you're here. And that's so you and I could love him. He made us for this eternal relationship that we can enjoy the expanse of this glorious majestic universe that he speaks into being this playground of creation and that you and I find our eternal life when we are tethered to the eternality that is himself and he speaks it into being and then he says I will take on the burden of sin I will take on the burden to heal my own creation out of love so he, the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that you and I would become the righteousness of God in him. That is forgiveness. And he offers that freely to us. And he says, I'm not forcing this on you. I'm not coercing you. I'm offering you this gift freely to come into the perichoresis, the eternal divine dance that we would enjoy this garden planet Enjoy this galaxy, enjoy this cosmos in relationship with the eternal one who speaks it into being, and he invites us into that life and light and love. This is the God that we worship. <laughs> so then the question is, what motive and fundamental basis did he have to create more things to worship him when he had all of heaven's angels? That's a good question, too. You know what? God doesn't need anything. God is not contingent. He is not dependent. He, he is worthy of our worship, right? It's, it's, he, he, what he is, is is existent, but we need it. Worship is for us. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna wrap this up here. There's nothing more appropriate Nothing more logical, nothing more rational and reasonable than for us to respond to this God with worship. To ascribe that truth to who he is. That's when we discover who we are. There's nothing more healthy recalibrating because you and I, we got really short memories. <laughs> we forget all the time. So we come together as the people of the way of Jesus and we gather in this place and we express this eternal truth that he is God and we are not. That God is creator and we are created. And that God is love and we 
are beloved. And one more time, we remind ourselves of who he is and who we are and why that is good. It is good. It is whole. It is very, very good. Because you are a ceaseless spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. So Father, we come to you right now. We bring you this offering. It feels so inadequate so much of the time. But we lay it at your feet and just help us one more time to expand our hearts, expand our minds, expand our imaginations to have a greater glimpse of you, a greater revelation that we would respond in the most wondrous, appropriate, rational, obvious way because you are worthy and we are in the eternal loving dance of a relationship with you, the one that you have provided for us. So we bring you this worship because you are worthy. And in that, we discover who we truly are. In the great name of Jesus, we offer all of this. Amen.